Welcome back. It is time for the whole nine on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. I am your host, Anthony Remedios, alongside Sammy New. Sammy, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to get started. Me too. It's going to be a very, very fun night here today. Coming up on the rundown here, we're going to start by breaking uh, by going back to last week and discussing the end of the pennant races. We will then f- talk about games one and two of the World Series that have happened this week. And then uh, in the second half of the show, coming up at 9.30, we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Kerry Crowley, Cronkite alum, coming on to join us this evening. So with that, Sammy, let's go ahead and get started. Um, end of the pennant races last week, both teams, uh, the Astros and the Braves, ended up clinching it in six games. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought the Astros were extremely impressive in the way that they turned it around after kind of a, hum- a couple of humiliating losses in uh, Fenway, to be honest with you. We, we talked about this last week, and I think the Astros did clinch last week before our last show, I, if I don't remember. My, they did not. They did not? That oh. was on Thursday. Oh, shoot. They clinched on Thursday. Okay, sorry. Then the day after, I get my get my dates mixed up. But, um, yeah, they came out in game six and still closed the door on them. Um, Fran Rivaldo does look really good in game five, like we said, and then the next day they – didn't take a step back and just kind of dominated back in their home, uh, home stadium in uh, in Houston, and it was really interesting to watch. And then, obviously on the other side, um, the Dodgers kind of just don't have pitching. Didn't have pitching in the end, which I thought was really interesting. We're gonna get more to that into later. But uh, what about you with the ALCS? What do you think? ALCS, you know, like you said, um, it really was impressed to me. You know how this how the script turned. Red Sox dominating the first half of that series, hitting all those home runs, uh, mm-hmm. all those grand slams, and then. You know, come come Thursday and Friday, um, with the uh, latter games of the series, the offense just wasn't there. Kind of like what happened with the Giants all year. You know, Giants, yeah. that offense was alive all year. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, come the NLDS, it was only there for the first game. So, um, kind of a similar thing there in Boston. But um, What I thought was really interesting is that three runs in the last three games, that's not going to get it done. That's no. for sure. Especially with how good the Houston offense is. I mean, that was the that was their big strength was their offense. And so far in the World Series, we've just seen two dominant offenses yeah. and with fine pitching, you know. Um, but, yeah, the Red Sox, after all those grand slams, like you said, they should have stayed a couple of runs for the rest of the series, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> not use them all in the first half. Um, but it seems like there is a scandal, actually, we're looking at now. Is I don't know if you were watching, I think it was game three or four in mm-hmm. Fenway. I think it was definitely game four. Game four in Fenway. Okay. There's a blinking light in center field. Yes, I remember seeing that. I don't I don't think yeah. I saw it live, but after yeah. the fact, I remember seeing all the tweets about mm-hmm. it and seeing people and talking about it on Twitter. Af- and at that moment, Houston changed their signs, and the Red Sox scored three more runs the rest of the series. Hmm. So, interesting. I mean, I'm not saying anything, but it's just, just an interesting development how – Houston changes their signs, and they go from the best the 1927 Yankees to the 2021 NLDS Giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you which know? is which is just funny that like that happened because like the Astros were the ones that were stealing the yeah. signs all of four years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of two years ago, right? Didn't they do it in 2019 too? True, but, that's right. But I mean, that was just the thing. Is like I thought it was really interesting that the Astros allegedly did change their signs. I feel like teams should change their signs a lot more then, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> Um, but they changed their signs apparently in game four. After after that, nothing. Absolutely nothing from the Red Sox offense. 
Um, so interesting to see. They got the light off, and I'm not saying – I mean, Alex Cora is still the manager of those Red Sox, right? He is. So and he was And he was um, the manager with the Red Sox – no, with the uh, – with the Astros in 2017. Mm-hmm. He, was he wasn't the manager, coach. but he was, uh, he, he was, he was, he was on the coach. coaching staff. Um, also in that series coming in, Lance McCullers, who was looking really good in the D- the divisional series, mm-hmm. is officially unavailable for the World Series. Um, he's out till what was his injury again? I, I don't even I think it's probably like a shoulder thing. Okay. But he's, he's officially done with um, the season. And I think they're, <laughs> they're going to need Framber Valdez to pitch. Urquidy? Or, or I don't know. Jose Urquidy, I think is how you say it. I'm not sh- quite sure. Urquidy pitched today. Yeah, he pitched really good two. today. Really, really good today. They're going to need more of that out of him. What was really interesting for him coming into the game is he you know, like, he pitched like an inning and a third in the last like 24 <laughs> days, and that inning and a third was giving up three runs to the Red Sox. So not great. Um, and they came in and shoved today. But they're going to need Fran Rivaldez to do something because if he do- if he pitches like he did in game one, then they're screwed. But yeah. I think on that, there's the ALCS. Kind of got that covered. Where do you think the Red Sox can go next year, actually? That's the Red Sox next year. What do I think they're doing? Yeah. It's not going to be a rebuild. I don't, they, no, I don't think they can rebuild, but um, who are they going to get in free agency is a thing. Because especially with the people have the Blue Jays as like a huge free agency destination, and obviously the Yankees are going to spend hundreds of millions. So who are the Red Sox going to get is the question compared to those two teams. I don't know, but what I will tell you is this, Sammy. They have to be competitive in free agency. They have they to get somebody, mm-hmm. especially with, like you just mentioned, the Yankees and the, and the Blue Jays. Those two teams are going to be going at it. They, yeah. they, they the want, Rays are still alias champions. And right? they want both, especially the Yankees and the, and the Blue Jays, they want those deep runs. You know, and the Yankees, as we've seen, they always look like on paper that they're going to go, that they're you know about to make another trip back. But then the season starts... Where the postseason starts, and then it just goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think the Blue Jays are gonna be very scary if they re-sign Marcus Simeon. They're gonna be really scary because like their window is like just cracked open. You know they the have. Que- the who, question yeah. is, will Simeon stay? Yeah, I want the Giants. To get I Simeon. saw. That's I saw. I saw that too. I saw uh, one of my friends had sent me a uh, Instagram post saying that the Giants were. We're interested oh, in... Oh, million percent. If I'm the Giants, Simeon. Simeon, behind the rotation, I think Simeon is their one priority because it was a weak position, second yeah. base, the entire year. Even though Solano and Stella did fine, and Flores played there a little bit, having a 40-home run guy at second base is going to be what could be very, very nice for the yeah. Giants. I also um, saw something today that the Gi- uh, my friend, same same guy, sent me a, uh, an Instagram post from the same account saying the Giants are interested in utility guy Chris Taylor. I can see that too. I think it's. I mean, obviously, Zaidi has a history with him because he he's the one that got he got Zaidi, he got Dodgers he got Chris Taylor to the Dodgers. Sorry, um, but I think however many positions you can play, that's going to be va- more valuable. I think the Giants. Giants. Look, we saw this with how this current Giants roster was constructed. The Giants are going to want they they like this platoon, this utility situation. Yeah. Frankly, I wasn't crazy about it at first last year. We're seeing how those guys were playing at all these different positions. I'm like, these guys. I'm like, so and so can't feel for th- to save his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but you know what? There. It's working, yeah, and that's depth. what the Giants, I think, are going to want to keep trying to do this season: get utility guys who can play multiple positions. And Semyon and Chris Taylor, especially, are great examples of that. Look at why did they sign or Chris, Chris Bryant. Bryant? Yeah, I think I don't even know if they're going to resign Chris Bryant. It's gonna be close. Look, we'll he wants to stay in San Francisco. Yeah, but he's got 
He's got Scott, Scott Boris as an agent, yeah. But I think um, the Giants' depth is their biggest advantage, and the Dodgers' depth was their biggest advantage, but yeah. their depth ran out. We got to the NLCS, and that's kind of what we saw. I think the main reason they aren't there, aren't in the World Series right now, is because of how much they push themselves to not just the NLDS, but to beat the Giants in the regular season, too. <coughs> On that last, think about it. On that last day, Muncy probably doesn't play; doesn't injure his elbow. Yeah. What other hundred six one team is playing? They're all their starters on the last day, besides the Giants, of course. Um, but it's really interesting because it's like Muncy gets hurt, Kershaw gets hurt, and Bueller and your earliest throw by far their most innings. Like Urias yeah. like doubled the amount of innings he threw this year, and Bueller set a career record too. Yeah. And then in the NLDS, they had to throw Mad Max. Okay. In Game Five. And he gets the game one, and he throws four innings, and he's like, my my arm's dead. It's dead. I can't throw anymore. And that's why I didn't pitch game six, right? Yeah. Um, but I think by far the stupidest decision from Dave Roberts that postseason or that series was why is Julio Urias used in game two? I, I was wondering that, too. He, it makes well, no sense. And also, why did Gratterall get taken out of that game? Yeah, or not? why not Trinan over Urias? Still a righty? Yeah. Or, I guess Urias is a lefty. But, I mean, to me, it's like... Not even hindsight. You don't have the benefit of hindsight. Even it's not like in that moment. I felt like it didn't work out either. Not even a little bit. Because Max Scherzer comes to you game two because they throw the bullpen game one. He mm-hmm. comes to you in that same game and he says, "My arm is dead. I cannot throw anymore." That's a red flag. Yeah, and then you decide with to, your number yeah. one pitcher that you got mm-hmm. at the All Star break and also getting Trey Turner. Yeah, and it's the same trade. Urias, and then Dave Roberts, after hearing that, after knowing Scherzer is dead, after knowing Urias has doubled his innings this year, he says, I'm going to use Urias, completely warming up, and use him in game two, the same way I used Max Scherzer in game five, and put Urias, set up Urias for the same amount of rest for game five. Like he is, He's on short rest in game five, and he gets lit up in game five. He has like the back-to-back leadoff bombs, and Freddie Freeman hit the tank too. It was just... It was just a mess. I thought it was the. I thought it was stupid at the moment, and I think it's even stupider now. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't even. I don't even know. Um, but yeah, daughters are gone. I feel good. How, what do you think about that? This World Series is just so weird to me. I, I was at, I was really ha- happy when the Dodgers mm-hmm. got eliminated, but I also wasn't paying attention to baseball by the end of Game Six. Because uh, that was the night I was at the Eagles concert. So well, how about how, before that the, how was that? Oh, it was a great Jay show. Center, a good place for a concert? Yes. If you get a chance, this goes for anybody, not just Sammy here. If you get a chance to go to Chase Center to, for a concert, mm-hmm. go. I will go there any day of the week. So how does an Eagles – sorry, I'm not on tangent now, but I have No, to that's ask. fine. I love, does, I love tangents. Like how this. does an Eagles concert work? Because, I mean, obviously a lot of them are tired. I saw on your, po- on your story that there was like a bunch of people on stage. What was that about? So do you have the main kind of five – guys of the band and then there's the backing band so uh backing members that have been with the band forever so you have don henley the only founding member who is left mm-hmm. um he trades off between drums and uh up front uh timothy what? v timothy v else dead or they all retired so uh one of the uh one of the other founding members glenn fry uh the other big uh leader in the band um wrote co-wrote uh many of the band songs saying many of the lead Vocals um, along with Don, um, Glenn passed away five years ago in 2016. So now, um, and after after Glenn passed away, everybody thought 
Giants or, or not sorry, sorry. The Eagles. The, the Eagles, uh <laughs> that was it. You know, everybody everybody thought, you know, well, okay, I guess that's that's that. Mm-hmm. Um kinda like Freddie but then, Mercury, right? Hmm? Kind of like Freddie Mercury. The Queen, Queen's my favorite band, so. But then, um, in 2017, um, they decided to give it uh, another try. Did two big shows that ended up turning into now this whole four years later, um, and they brought along Deacon Fry, Glenn's son, and Vince Gill. Um, so you have Don, Vince, and Deacon. So Vince and Deacon uh, split uh, Glenn's lead vocals during the show, mm-hmm. um, trading off depending on the song. And then Timothy B. Schmidt, longtime bassist, um, he's still around. Um, their original bassist um, left the band back in the 70s. Um, I think it was just after the Hotel California album that he left. My grandpa's favorite um, song, by the way, Hotel California. Yeah, I feel like it's everyone's grandpa's favorite song, but it's just an all—it's one of those yeah. all-time classic iconic yeah, songs. He played it like every, he picked me up every day from school, and he played it literally every yeah. time we got in the car. So, so the Eagles are my dad's favorite band of all time. Gotcha. Oh, and then you still have Joe Walsh. That's that's around. Um, Joe Walsh. Um, he came in, uh, in the mid seventies, uh, right before the Hotel California album, I think. Um, so he's still around the, um, the funny guy of the group. So anyways, you have those five guys, but the way the show was set up, this is a a unique tour, something they never did, uh, when Glenn was around. They did the Hotel California album in its entirety. Started, uh, started the show with that, just playing that album, start to finish, um, and they had a full orchestra, um, the San Francisco Freelance Philharmonic and the San Francisco State Chorus joining them um, during that portion of the show. Um, and then a couple other appearances later in the main set. Um, and they had the original composer directing directing. Oh, that's it. cool. Yeah. So, But the acoustics in that arena are great. The band still sounds as good as they did 50 years ago. Uh, just all around a lot of fun. Um, and then after the album, they uh, took an intermission, came back, and played another two hours. So it's a long concert, but yep, yeah, almost as long as the game one of the World Series. Almost so four we hours were, long. So we were, our seats were in the club club level. We actually had really good seats, about where center court would be for basketball. Gotcha. Um, but uh, we were watching the baseball game before the show. You know, when we were eating dinner and stuff, and then. Went into the show, and it was uh, during the Hotel California portion of the show that I got the notification on my phone. The Braves are going to the World Series. So, mm-hmm. yeah. happy about that, but I'm like, not my focus right now. I will read those tweets later. So, yeah. Um, but, like I said, game one of the World Series was a slog. Uh, Braves get out early. Um, and they hit two home runs in the uh, into the Crawford boxes that – Almost kill people in those Crawford boxes. It was like they were hit lasers. I remember I was watching a TV and Adam Duvall just absolutely crushes a baseball. And I was like, oh, that's a line drive off the wall. And he just stayed up and then almost murdered a civilian. So, um, yeah. And then obviously uh, Jorge Soler with the um, with the leadoff homer. First leadoff homer in the first at-bat of the World Series ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Really interesting there. Um, and then also it's like <laughs> – Duvall and Soler, the two home runs they hit. There you go. Trade deadline acquisitions again. Like, they did all they can at the trade deadline to replace Acuna, and they I think they did better than that, to be honest with you. Um, they did better than replace Acuna. They just got four guys who obviously can't all produce like Acuna, but can produce to the level as combined. Like they said in Moneyball, right? You get those three guys that um, combine to 
get the output of Acuna and their outfield stacked now. And I think with Acuna coming back next year, this team's even more scary than it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you could really see those, like you said, you could really see those acquisitions coming through in the World Series. And mm-hmm. Atlanta wasted no time getting getting up on the board yesterday. Yeah. You know, you saw that in the first inning with them scoring two or three, two nothing at, after three, the, three nothing after two, I think. And then yeah. Four nothing after three. Well, in the four first inning, the first three. inning itself took half yeah. an hour. Mm-hmm. So, For both sides. Yeah. Because, I mean, then the Combined. Astros uh, loaded the bases and didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then today, with game two, it's pretty much the other way around. Houston wasted no time. Mm-hmm. But and bef- it was before we move on to game one, I think the biggest story coming out of before we move on to game two, the biggest yeah. story out of game one, Charlie Morton breaks his ankle or breaks his leg. Um, and then... And still pitches a 1-2-3 yeah, inning yeah, in the process strikes of out doing two, so. Throws 96. <laughs> what? Baseball players are so stupid. So That's stupid why when I heard that this he's morning... he's like 38. How is he 38 and throwing 97? It's ridiculous. I don't know, man. Charlie Morton is a guy who just... He's been consistent a hey, majority of his career. You always forget about him. Any here comes Charlie Morton in the postseason again. right? He always, he always seems to find that team that's competing. I mean... I think he's been the three straight World Series. Am I wrong? He went with uh, the, the Astros Rays. in 2019, the Rays last yeah. year, and the Braves. I'm pretty sure. I'm, at least he was with the Astros. He was in with the Astros one sure. of those years for sure. He won the World Series with the Astros for sure. But um, yeah, other than that, definitely last year and this year. But Charlie Morton. Um, yeah, when I heard the news this morning that he had broken his, uh, he had mm-hmm. a fractured fibula. Is that fibula, what it was? Yeah, I think. Um, I saw that as I was going to the elevator on my way down uh, my, as, as on the way out my apartment building uh, going to class this morning, and I was like, "Wow!" Mm-hmm. And he still struck out. He struck out the best hitter. Or could you could say he's one of the best hitters? In, no, not one. He is one of the best hitters in the game. Jose Altuve, who's been struggling. He's like, I think he's like two for twenty or two for ten so far in the World Series. But yeah, I think we move on to Game Two. Freed versus Urquidy. Uh Freed for the second straight. Uh, second straight game doesn't pitch uh, doesn't pitch very well. I mean, he got blown up in the um, got blown up in the World Series and the Game Five of the NLCS against the Dodgers, and then obviously just now tonight get blown up against the Astros. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting interesting thing series you got going on here. One one heading back to Atlanta, um, which is exactly what the Atlanta Braves wanted, right? The, it's tied up 1-1. Um, going back to Atlanta is going to be the really interesting part of this. Because Atlanta um, can't glitch at home now. Atlanta, it, it, right now it's anybody's game. It's a five-game um, series. Here we go. It's a five-game series. Well, best of seven. But now but right, it's a five-game series. But right now it's a five-game series for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anybody's game. Um, and Atlanta in the postseason, they've been pretty rowdy too. Yeah, uh, what's um, their SunTrust SunTrust Park? Truist Park now. What? It's not SunTrust. Truist. Truist. I think they just they just changed the name of it. I feel like last year, or the year before. Mm-hmm. That chop's gonna go crazy. Still probably a tad bit racially insensitive, but you know, whatever gets the crowd going, right? Yeah. The interesting thing though is Rob Manfred's comments about Atlanta yesterday. Did you hear any of that? Did you hear Rob Manfred's credit like comments in general? I was not paying. I did not. He, he said the most. See any of that? The, but we'll, I. We'll talk about this for right now. He said the stupidest thing I've ever heard a commissioner say yesterday. He goes, "We don't market baseball as a national game." What? 
what are you talking about? He I, says, we yeah, don't market it as that. a national I game. See. We market it as 30 different individual markets. That's the prob- That's problem number one and right I there, said, Mr. Manfred. Uh, wh- what? You're actively not trying to reach the entire nation with your sport? What is your job then? There's a reason baseball's losing interest. Yeah, Rob uh, Manfred is one of those reasons. Uh, what, what? I was so confused. I was like, one, why would you even approach baseball like that? Two, why would you say that in a press conference? Yeah, uh, that is makes no. What What are you doing then? If you're not approaching the sport as a national as a national game, then what are you doing? What Why are you here? What are you doing as commissioner? You're, yeah. You're forcing, like he said, individual markets. I can't even watch my team because of blackouts. What What is that about? Well, and then you can be hundreds of miles away from a city and still have blackouts on about five exactly. different cities. I saw like a, a tweet. It's like Illinois gets like the worst of it because they're blacked out for the White Sox, the Cubs. I think every team in that area, the Midwest, they're blacked out for all of them. It's like what games can you watch? You well, and then the MLB Field of Dreams game in Iowa – the game is happening in Dyersville, Iowa. People in Iowa want to watch the game, but blackouts. They couldn't watch the Field of Dreams game? I don't think so. Wow, that's crazy. I, I could be wrong on that. I guess well, it was through, on national well, TV. Well, through, through MLB TV, that is. Yeah, that was on national. I mean, that was on Fox Sports Rob 1. Rob Manfred's but... giving me a headache. And he's going to look like a moron coming out of this CBA lockout, I think. It's yeah. not going to be pretty. And we'll, yeah. we're going to get into that throughout the rest uh, later in the show, but. You know, you and I can give our thoughts on this. I mean, uh, right now at the scope of this, what does, what does the offseason look like for you? This is I think it looks like three months of absolutely nothing and then everything happening at once. Like, I saw something where it was like, Jeff, Jeff Passon said today on Pat McAfee's show, which everyone should watch, by the way, Pat McAfee. He's not a baseball guy. I know this is a baseball show. But if you want some hilarious football content, Pat McAfee's your guy. But um, to me, it was like... Um, Jeff Passon says, I think it's going to be two or three months of nothing. And then right before spring training or right before, right after the New Year's happens, it's going to be everybody signs. Because you can't talk to free agents during a lockout. Everything freezes. Nothing, no contracts can be signed. No trades can be done. The interesting thing, though, I was reading about this uh, the other day. The nature of the timing of it all, of when the CBA expires, when all the qualifying offers happen, and when free agency starts, some of that starts before the CBA, especially those qualifying offers. I don't. I I thought it was the CBA locks out on that day because that's the, officially the end of the season. December first is when the CBA, or November thirtieth, December first is when the CBA actually expires. Okay, then I that's. I think it's gonna be a very boring offseason until it's all not boring. You know, it's gonna be very boring until everything happens. It's gonna be like the. Uh, Harper Machado offseason in a way. Well, Remember, I, me, it was the J.D. Mart. Is that the same offseason as J.D. Martinez? J.D. Martinez I don't think for, so. took forever to sign. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. But Harper took forever, too. I think I was saying Spanish class when Harper signed. The Harper annoying. and Machado year. There was just... The, the issue there is that there were just too, way too many... Uh, way too many rumors and just... What it was is everybody's talking about, oh, he's, these are the front runners. These are the front runners. Giants were the front runners for Harper. And, oh, so-and-so's offering this. So-and-so's offering that. And then all of a sudden, and then just it kept spinning the hamster wheel like that. That's all, Everybody that's else was waiting yeah. to see what happened there. 
finally said, all right, we got to get moving here. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go do our own th- You know, we're going to go start. Doing- and also, it doesn't help that, like I said, I think Chris Bryant's going to be a headache for Giants fans this offseason because not only is there a lockout, but there's a Scott Boris tag on it too. It's like Scott Boris was the Scott Boris infamous agent, was the agent for Bryce Harper, and he just took forever with uh, – with Harper, and I think he's going to do the same with Bryant, plus the lockout. We're going to be sitting there for ages to see where Bryant signs. And then if Bryant doesn't sign for the Giants, then the Giants probably go on to Chris Taylor. And, like, what? I don't even know. It's going to be nice forever to get Gosman back. I hope – people are saying we don't get Gosman back, which I think is crazy. I, I think you have to get Gosman back. I'd like to see Gosman and Disco. I was like to see Disco. Cueto, let him go. Wood, Wood let him, walk. Let him you, go. Because you can get another one of those guys. Both Wood was too inconsistent for me, and Cueto yeah. has been injury prone for the last four years, and I've been waiting this long to get rid of his contract. Yeah, me too. I just like the Samarja contract last offseason. God, that con- those two contracts were awful. Yeah, but the problem with signing a guy like, like, I, I heard rumors it was like you get one of the shortstops, right? But like none of those shortstops are gonna want to play second. Crawford is a better defender than all of them, and none of them want to be third. Or you want to bench Longoria? Like what? I mean, you could bet Longoria, but it's like, then we're going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. Longoria is going to be, yeah, uh, hopefully he gets off. When, when is he off the books again? Is it ne- after le- next year? Who? Longoria. Longoria, I want to say might be this year. Not not this this year. He's not off the books. He's on the books still. Okay. I think to so our, then it must be next year. I think it's either Because I don't think they had, going into this year, I don't think they had anybody signed past 22. As of the beginning of the year, but I'm reading an article uh, from 95.7 The Game um, that I had tweeted about uh, the other day, saying MLB lockout is quote almost certain to start on December 2nd. So the CBA expires December 1st, um, but as of November 4th, the day after what would be a potential Game Seven for the World Series. That's when eligible players can file for free agency. Six days after the World Series finishes, that's when free agents will be eligible to sign with other clubs. Um, yeah, but it's like no free big free agents are going to sign in that period from like November 10th to December 1st. No, because one, they don't know what the CBA locked. They don't know what the CBA is going to be. How are you going to sign before a whole new collective bargaining agreement gets argued? Well, here, the, like I said, the qualifying offers are the big part of this. So, teams will have it says teams will have to decide before the new CBA is in place, and before we technically even know that there will be a 162 game season in 22, whether to extend an 18.4 million qualifying offer to their impending free agents, and players that are issued a qualified offer will need to accept or decline it before knowing. If the CBA will include any changes to the structure of that's huge for the Giants. Free agency. Buster Posey staring at you right there, and I don't think we should extend Buster. I love Buster, but Buster has a club option. I yeah. think they're going to give him a club option and deal with the rest next year. Yeah, I agree. I think. But I think Buster. You get, Farhan Zaidi has said, "quote If Buster or not direct quote, but Farhan has said, if Buster wants to play, the priority is keeping him on the team." You're one million percent. I think. I think. I want Bart one year under Buster, but we've talked about that forever. Um, but yeah, the offseason is going to be a crazy, crazy time. It's going to be crazy time because it's not going to be crazy. You know, yeah. it's gonna, the whole point is going to be it's going to be so crazy, and then because nothing's happening, like always, because baseball is the most boring offseason. 
People say it's the most boring sport, then it's the most by far the most boring off season. So part of that though has to do with the marketing of the off season, though. To be fair, it's, yeah. we could go on a whole other rant on the marketing. We could spend a whole episode talking about that. But on the surface level, yeah, that's part of why the off season sucks for baseball. Yeah, because it's I don't even how do they market the off season? They don't. They don't really <laughs> compared no to other sports. The and the draft happens during the year, which is a, another issue I have because it's like. The year starts, and everyone's focused on actual baseball, and then the draft is kind of just like, oh, here's the draft. Why don't you have the draft like that? that I guess because, like, I guess It has to do with season. college baseball, yeah. and they're trying to put the draft with the College World Series, like time that out. Yeah. Um, You're with, excited for college baseball? I can't wait for that to get started. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. ASU baseball. is going to be fun. In the Pac-12. SEC is going to be fun, once again. Mm-hmm. SEC is always fun. Fandy, Tennessee, Arkansas. Florida. ASU baseball is going to, from what I've heard so far, just from fall baseball, not only is it a new coaching staff, but there's going to be some new position changes. Um, There's been some new position changes as well, which we'll get into uh, in the next couple weeks. We'll start previewing that and breaking down ASU fall ball a little bit that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be going to be a fun baseball season. I think think we're going to get into that a lot, aren't we? Cover... Got to commit myself to some ASU baseball then. Got to throw myself in. We're going to be talking about that a lot, aren't we? Yep. Okay. We, we'll be cover, covering the Pac-12 a fair amount um, in the spring mm-hmm. on the show. So more about college baseball later. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. You're listening to The Whole Nine on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com with Anthony Remedios and Sammy Newt. When we come back, we'll get back in the World Series, and we will be on the line with... Kerry Crowley. So, we will see you in a couple minutes. Are you tired of sports shows that throw out baseless takes that they really don't even believe and frankly, don't really even know what they're talking about? Lucky for you, your favorite sports talk show is back. Sanchez, with time, throwing, corner, and end up, Sanchez throwing, touchdown! Sanchez, pumps, goes for the ball! Tune into the Sanchez every Wednesday, hosted by me, Nick Sanchez. Every week we go over the biggest stories in sports. We've got great analysis, great guests, and we've got spicy takes peppered around the sports world. Sanchez still has it. Listen to the Sanchez Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to noon on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. Welcome back to Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. Anthony Remedios and Sammy Newt with you here for the whole night. We're still waiting for Kerry Crowley to call in here. He will, should be with us in just a minute, and then we'll have him for the rest of the show. Yeah, good good thing that we can talk to him so. about a lot more stuff than we were expecting. We were supposed to have him for about 15 minutes at 9.30, but obviously a little bit of delay, but we'll have him for the rest of the show, about five more minutes than we thought, and it's, it's going to be a fun one. And a uh, little preview of what we're going to be talking about. We'll be talking about the World Series. We'll talk about uh, his journey, a little bit about his journey here at Cronkite and, and his career in general. And uh, then we'll also talk about the Giants. So, 
Um, yeah, obviously, I don't know. Before we get started, Kerry Crowley, a beat writer for the Mercury News for the Giants. I've uh, covered them all year, covered them for the last couple of years, I would say. Uh, come out of Cronkite and the San Francisco Bay Area in high school. Those from the Bay Area, they're listening from home, or from my home. He went to San Ignatius High School, also in the West Catholic League against my Giants. Um, and here we go. I think he's going to call in here shortly. Just we're waiting for the ring. Here we go. Uh, many fun plans for the weekend here, Sammy. I mean, so fun. I'm so excited for Halloween. It's going to be, uh, we got ASU football on Saturday. Should yeah, be so, so early, though. Noon, I wake up at noon. <laughs> hey, I'm happy we get the day game here, yeah. Sammy. Yeah. Um, Let's hope he, uh, I'm happy we get the day game. Fin- finally, a different experience than those uh, than the night game, so it'll be a nice, be a nice change of pace. Yeah. I-, I like the night games, though. The atmosphere in ASU is really, really cool. Yeah. And there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from the San Francisco Bay Area. He's the beat writer for the San Francisco Giants for the Bay Area News Group and a part-time radio host on KMBR 104.5 FM and 680 The Sports Leader, Mr. Kerry Crowley. How's it going there, Kerry? Doing quite well. Thank you guys for having me. Apologize for the little delay there, but uh, got home from work and we're ready to go, ready to roll and... uh, Looking forward to being back on the Blaze. It's home mm-hmm. for me. No so you, worries. You well, have some Blaze experience then, Carrie. Carrie. Pardon? You have some Blaze experience then, huh? Blaze yeah, radio? I do. I do. I, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I spent some time in the Blaze studio not too long ago, so sitting exactly where you guys were and uh, looking forward to this. Yeah. So uh, what kind of extracurriculars uh, did you do while you were here at Cronkite? And what, what things within Blaze uh, were you involved in? Uh, well, I started out freshman year on bottom of the six. Yeah. And I woo. believe they're still running to this day. And so, yeah, bottom of the six was kind of the foundation for me. And from that point forward, I moved on to uh, uh, WCSN, Walter Cronkite Sports Network. And from that point forward, uh, I worked at Sun Devil Source. So, you know, there were plenty of different uh, opportunities for me down at ASU. And uh, I'm extremely grateful for for all the time I spent there and all the people who helped me out there. What would you say is the, uh, the most important thing you learned here at Conkite, and how did, that, how did that help you get to where you are today? Oh, gosh. Uh, man, there's a list of so many different things that I could go on and talk about in terms of all the different things that I learned at Cronkite that helped me today. But number one was just be authentic, be who you are, don't change, because uh, you're not going to have success in this industry trying to be someone else. Um, so bottom line, you've got to be yourself and you've got to be true to who you are. Um, and that, that's different for everyone. And for me, you know, it's being a kind of uh, an opinionated journalist, just someone who's willing to share, uh, you know, my thoughts on, on matters. Uh, and, uh, you know, the other, issue, the other thing that I would say is just always make the extra call. Whenever you're telling a story, whenever you're on the radio, whenever you're on TV, always make the extra call uh, to someone who... Uh, you know, other people, other outlets might not get to. And from that point, you can, uh, you can tell unique stories. You can tell stories that make a difference. And you can tell stories that, uh, that add value to your subject's lives. And I think that's always important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely starting. I'm a, I'm just a freshman here at Cronkite, um, and Anthony's obviously a sophomore. But we're definitely learned that already. And we're getting. I'm getting ready to get started here. And I, the one question I have to ask you is that, um, 
as a Giants fan, I would reload Twitter after every game, and 30 seconds after the game, your article will be there already. I'm curious how how do you write so fa- how do you write throughout the game, and if the narrative changes throughout the game, how do you how do you deal with that? Uh, it's a really good question. I'm glad you asked because uh, I think it is an undervalued skill for journalists to be able to uh, produce copy quickly uh, on demand in a game story like situation. And for me. If the game is decided early, uh, you can take your you can take your storyline and take what you want, get the lead done, uh, be creative with it, and write your story from there. If it is not decided early, and if it's decided on the walk off, or uh, you know, if a team has a lead change in the final second, you've got to write a, a story that can pivot any which way, and you've got to really get a sense of the magnitude of the moment so that you're playing it at the right value. So let's say it's game, you know, 36 in a 162-game season. You can write, you know, a pretty basic lead that gives you some ins and outs with both ways, uh, whether the team that you're covering wins or loses. If it's game 162 and, you know, a division title's on the line uh, and you've got a playoff spot you're writing for, uh, it's different. And you just have to play it up a little bit more and uh, understand the history of the team you're covering, understand uh, what fans are looking to read, and it, it's really a sense that you continue to gain as you grow as a journalist. Uh huh. And so, what, when you're in a game, you know, how do you keep up with it all? You know, you're actively live tweeting the games. I have your Twitter notifications on for that reason. Uh, you know, you're live tweeting the games. You're trying to write your story. You know, in some cases, especially a lot over the summer, uh, you were getting ready to also do the post game on KNBR, uh, which I actually called in. Uh, to one of your shows. So how do you keep up with it all? Uh, for me, it's just, it, it, you know how athletes say, like when you are a really good like NFL quarterback, uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, they say the game slows down for them because they've been there so many times. Um, uh, I think back to the first time I was covering an ASU football game, I was expected to live tweet it and produce a story I wasn't ready for the moment. I'll be honest. I failed. I failed miserably. And that's kind of what college is for. You know, you get into those situations, and they're, they're training grounds. They're learning grounds. And I just remember being so overwhelmed by the speed of everything. And now I look back, and uh, for me, it's just standing there, and, you know, you, you've got Twitter. You've got your story up. You're adding to it each moment. And the, the game has slowed down for me. And it's just come with reps. You know, I've covered more than 500 Major League Baseball games now, and spring trainings as well and so uh it it wasn't easy at first but the longer you do this the easier it gets and i'll say that to anyone you know start your freshman year cover games your freshman year even if you're not writing for an outlet uh write for yourself so that when you do write for an outlet your sophomore year your junior year you can be quicker And, and the more reps you get you know five reps matters a whole lot more than one ten reps matter a whole lot more than five just slow it down uh by doing more and that'll put you in a better situation to succeed. Yeah, I'm def- I definitely love just watching the games and kind of thinking about what articles I would write if I was in a situation like that for any sport. I uh, I love watching. But um, for me, obviously, both is a baseball show, So um, our, and both of our favorite teams are up the Giants, and you luckily cover the Giants for us. But like, what, what was it like covering, Like, I guess, the most surprising team this year? I, obviously, 107 wins were better better and more entertaining to cover than what their 70 projected was. But what was, what was it like, the Royal Coaster, this year for the Giants covering that? Yeah, I'll say, I'll say that uh, one of my mentors always told me in baseball, never judge a team until you get to the 40-game mark. You know, don't say a team is good. 
Don't say a team is bad. Don't really judge them until you're 40 games in because that will give you enough of a sample to kind of tell you, okay, this is you know what a team has going right for it. This is what a team has going wrong for it. I'll tell you, I, I broke that rule a little bit. Around game 35 or 36, I said to myself, this Giants team is really good. I've watched a lot of bad baseball in my life. I've watched the 98 lost Giants of 2017. I saw the 89 lost Giants of 2018. I've seen bad baseball, and I know what good baseball looks like as a result of that, and that's what this Giants team is playing like. And so I broke that rule, and I, I just I really believed in their opportunity to do something special from about – uh, I would say May 28th on. That's when Mike Talkman robbed Albert yeah. Pujols at Dodger Stadium uh, with kind of an iconic catch, a turning point in the Giants' season. From that point forward, they were a much better team than the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't add up on paper. Like, you could look at that lineup. You could look at that pitching rotation. You could look at that bullpen. You could say, this is a good team. It's not a great team. When you watched them, when you were sitting front row and actually seeing what they were doing, you could say that they were one of the best Giants teams ever. And you could say that definitively. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was just a really interesting way of you know embarking on this season, is seeing them every day and evaluating them for what they actually were and what they were actually producing as to opposed to what they were supposed to be on paper and what people thought they would be going into this season. Yeah, and I mean, for me, you know, as a Giants fan, I knew Giants were going to have a good season. I didn't. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be this good. And it's funny you brought up the Talkman catch because that was, I think that was the day after, or right around, just after I had called into your show. But uh, you know, one of the most exciting parts for me this season was seeing that everybody was contributing on this team, even guys like Mike Talkman who didn't make it on the roster through the whole season. They were still contributing, and ultimately. Talkman made the difference of the season. You know, yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the reasons that people love this team is because it wasn't just uh, one or two superstars who were carrying it, Anthony. It was the fact that you know everyone contributed and there were players who were surprises every single day who made a difference. And I, I think that when you think about the course of a baseball season, the variety and storylines matters just as much to fans as it does to journalists, and that's what the Giants had this year. There was a new hero every day. There was something new that they were doing. It was special every day, and that's why I think that this 107-win season is going to be one that's going to be talked about for the next 50-plus years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to be remembering it for you forever my entire life because I was a little bit younger for the three World Series wins. And all I do remember them. I don't remember seeing every, every single game in every single moment like I did this year. I mean, it was so much fun to experience it. But obviously, heartbreaker in the end, in the NLDS. But even though the Giants lost, you could see like kind of like their fingerprints all over uh, Los Angeles' uh, eventual NLCS loss. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you see how Max Scherzer had a pitch in Game 5 and obviously was hurt or, hurt or tired the rest of the series? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I would tell you that the Giants would have probably lost the Atlanta Braves as well because – they had to get Kevin Gossman up in the ninth inning. They were in a situation where they were stressed because they'd played Los Angeles. So I think that we saw both of those teams really push each other to the limit, and neither was going to come out uh, you know, in advantageous position because of that. Yeah. That's why it was so disappointing, I thought, that the NLDS. It was the NLDS that it was the Giants-Dodgers and not the NLCS, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a case that, uh, you know, Baseball, look at that. Players felt that way. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, with the two highest teams, 
you know, the two best teams in baseball with 106 and 107 wins having to play each other in the NLDS, and one of them even having to play the wild card. Do you think that should be seeded differently? And, um, you know, I know this is an argument in every sport, especially football too, but kind of what are your thoughts on that, Kerry? Yeah, I think most people would tell you that they'd want to see something different. I wouldn't, actually. I, I liked it just the way it was. I liked getting the Dodgers uh, in the uh, Giants in the wild card game. I thought that, that was uh, – or the Dodgers getting the Cardinals in the wild card game. I thought that, that was interesting. I thought that, you know, the team that was that won its division was rewarded for its success. I wouldn't change a thing, but I know why a lot of people would. I totally understand their viewpoint on that. And so – it's, uh, you know, you look at it different ways, but at the bottom, at the end of the day, bottom line is uh, you're going to have to beat that team anyway to get to the World Series, so it doesn't matter to me when you play them. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that it's like you say that the Giants were rewarded, I guess, but they're re- rewarded with a team that's seen them 19 times already and won 106 games in that series. Although you would, would you potentially do like a reseeding, I guess? I guess if even if it was reseeded, I guess the Giants would the Dodgers anyways. But I, I just think that it's I think it's interesting that would you expand the postseason potentially, or would you just keep it the way it is now with the five teams on each side with the one wild card game and and just going on from there? I'd leave it the way it is. I really would. I think that it's the uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Major League Baseball has the smallest playoffs for a reason, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, you know you reward the teams that do the best in the regular season by keeping the playoff field small and by you know still valuing the division winners, uh, and that's kind of the the way the current format has it. You know, with the expanded playoffs, you know, I'm right there with you. You know, I I don't want to see if. If baseball were to expand, I don't want to see more than 12 teams. Uh, you know, one of the things with the NBA, especially for me, is you should not have half the league making the playoffs. And you certainly should not have, you know, uh, um, last season's NFL was a little bit of a rare exception, but you should not have 500 or below 500 teams making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my high school football team, Aragon, uh, my junior year, we were 2-8 and eight and made the playoffs uh, because we finished 4th in our league, um, but we, in all honesty, didn't have much business mean there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, for me, it's the expanded playoffs with 12 teams. Also, you said you brought up the NBA, Anthony. I think it's a really good point is that there's the divisions don't matter in the NBA. That's what no. I love about baseball is the baseball divisions do matter so much because of the playoffs, and it's definitely something that's really interesting. But and obviously, division winners are rewarded, and you can see it with the Braves here. They kind of they didn't have they couldn't coast, but they can get a little bit healthier coming into the postseason. Um, and they got the Brewers in uh, the ser- first series, and then the Dodgers in NLCS. But they've looked really good so far this postseason. What do you think, Kerry, on this on this Braves team? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm bullish on the Braves. I think that you look at uh, you know the National League down the stretch, and you see that the Dodgers were outstanding, the Giants were outstanding. The other team that was outstanding after the trade deadline was the Atlanta Braves. And they were good because Alex Anthopoulos, their general manager and president of baseball operations, refused to believe that he needed to concede at the trade deadline, even with Ronald Lacuna Jr. and Mike Soroka out. They'd lost two key pieces, but they went out and they traded for four outfielders. It was an unprecedented trade deadline. So I'm happy to see a team that did the work at the trade deadline, that believed in its current group. I'm happy to see them advance because it shows that uh, you know, something went right for a team that actually went for it in baseball. And so much we talk about teams tanking, so much we talk about teams that are playing for draft position. This is a situation where we can really applaud the team for doing the right thing here. 
And with that, you know, what do you think about this Braves team? You know, now that next year they're going to get some of those stars back, certainly Soroka and Acuna. Those guys are going to be coming back early next season, and likely the Braves are going to have a majority of that same roster. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Braves will be a, a legitimate player in the NL East. You know, the Nationals are kind of in a rebuild mode. The Marlins are a few years away. I like the Phillies, but I don't love what the Phillies have right now. They've got a lot of room uh, to improve in the offseason. I'm not sure that they have the payroll flexibility to do so. Kind of the wild card in that division is the New York Mets. They're struggling to hire a president of baseball operations or a general manager. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Mets can challenge the Braves because they're the team with the payroll to do it, or at least the payroll flexibility. And so, uh, yeah, I think the Braves are in a good position for sustainable success moving forward. And what's really interesting about the Braves to me is that this is where they're supposed to be kind of, right? They're supposed to be competing for the NLCS and the World Series, but they got there in a completely different way than everybody thought. Um, obviously, what you said, uh, the four outfit at the deadline, kind of replacing Acuna in a way. And I mean, who could see Eddie Rosario going on a Marco Scudero-like tear in the NLCS, just absolutely dominating? But, I mean, it worked out for him. And on the other side of this World Series, you have the Astros, though they're a huge scandal. But I'm curious, do you think the Astros clear their name, per se, if they win this World Series? I don't think that they've ever cleared their name. That's how much of a black mark on baseball history what they did in 2017 is. But what I will say, they have reshaped their image in a way that may make us rethink, or at least historically, whether it's right or wrong, uh, may make us not look back upon the 2017 cheating scandal uh, with as much you know scorn as we currently do. And you know, one of the people who deserves credit for kind of reshaping the Houston Astros is Dusty Baker. He's done an outstanding job as their manager. He's brought a lot of life, a lot of energy, a lot of joy to that franchise. And you couldn't find someone of higher integrity than Dusty Baker. And so I think that it's important to remember what he's done, uh, but also important to remember what he's done in the context of a situation that was really, really bad when he took over. Yeah, And, you know, I was going to ask about Dusty Baker, and I will say for me, you know, um, and likewise, I don't think the people are not going to forget about the Astros, especially as long as some of the current the guys that were on that team, Correa, Bregman, Altuve, as long as they're still on the roster. Um, but I will say that if the Astros win, at least I'll be happy for Dusty. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, a lot of the baseball world will be. I think that Dusty has touched so many lives in this game, and uh, you know it's it's easy to find yourself rooting for someone like that. He's worked with five different franchises. I think I saw a stat that said as, as a player and as a manager, he's participated 2.5% of all Major League Baseball games ever. Uh, that's a testament to uh, to how long Dusty's been in the game and the kind of mark that he's made as a successful person. He's a Hall of Famer, no doubt in my eyes. And I think the ring will just kind of kind of cement that, I would say. People are still questioning it, but um, after coming out of retirement and fix not fixing a team, but fi- kind of fixing a reputation that the Astros had, like you said, and coming in a situation that was just awful with so much PR issues and then turning it around and taking a team to a World Series in a pretty dominant fashion, I would say. And I think the most impressive part about this postseason so far was the turnaround that the Astros made in the ALCS with the, uh, the Red Sox kind of just – deciding that they weren't going to give up runs anymore. Um, and th- the Red Sox were on a roll. As you say, no more runs, and that's how we got here. Um, 
What did you think about the AL side, how the AL postseason play out? The NL side we talk about a lot on this show because we're both Giants fans, but the AL side I thought was uh, really interesting with the, the Red Sox kind of like an underdog story and the Astros all, another underdog story in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you go to that postseason, much like in the National League, how the Giants were the best team. To me, I thought the Tampa Bay Rays were the best team. I thought that they were a juggernaut. I didn't think that anyone would beat them. And you credit the wild card team, the Boston Red Sox. They got hot at the right time. Uh, they had enough hitting to outmatch Tampa Bay's pitching, and it was a really impressive showing from them. And so, uh, yeah, I think that I paid a lot more attention to the National League and how things went down, but you certainly credit the Houston Astros pitching for coming up big in the ALCS. Kind of the defining moment for me in the ALCS was, uh, you know, after that series ended, Dusty Baker hoisting the trophy on the field in Houston, just celebrating, uh, you know, with such joy, such energy, and just such life. And, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the, the mark that he's left on this game. I thought that seeing him light up when they won the ALCS uh, made us remember what makes baseball such a cool sport to follow. Yeah, I I was having a lot of fun. I was still kind of sad with the Giants, but obviously watching watching happy baseball moments is some of the the best part about this sport. But I think my my last question for you, Carrie, is that um, you covered a baseball season that was who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic. Sixty season, sixty games, and a crazy year for the Giants as well. And then obviously this year, where there's still a lot of protocols, but it was mostly kind of a normal season. What was your experience with covering? baseball in a pandemic? Uh, terrible. Uh, I think that everyone's experience, I mean, I, I don't think we need to sugarcoat it. I think everyone's experience with everything in a pandemic yeah. was terrible. There were very few silver linings to come out of this. I'm so glad that a lot of normalcy was restored this year. I'm so glad for the power of uh, vaccines. I'm so glad that the sports world has found a way to push through. Uh, but it, I just, I prefer to, to look forward, not to the past, and I hope that we never find ourselves in a situation like we found ourselves in 2020. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with that, too. And kind of my last question for you here, Kerry, you know, if we have the offseason coming up, nobody knows what it's going to look like, you know. Well, what do you think it looks like for the league as a whole? You know, there's a potential lockout, there's the CBA agreements, Universal DH might come in, a lot of stuff going on. And a stat-free agent class, too. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting because there's so many exciting storylines and it can all get derailed right away by the potential lockout that happens with the expiration of the CBA on December 1st. So that will become the storyline that we all follow extremely closely uh, to kind of judge, you know, whether to proceed with the free agent class and, you know, talk about how these guys can make an impact come 2022 or talk about how no one's finding a home because no one's ready to spend money because no one knows what the future looks like. So it's all going to be up in the air, and it's all going to be up in the air very fast once this World Series comes to an end. Agreed. And just kind of one one last thing. Let's have a little fun with food here. What's your go-to restaurant in the Phoenix and Tempe and uh, the Valley out here? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, my Phoenix go-to restaurant, I mean, I love Four Peaks. Uh, over in Tempe, I love. Uh, I oof. this is this is really tough because I love Welcome Diner downtown. Uh, I love so many different places in Scottsdale. Salty Senorita for me uh, is one of my favorites. Um, wow, 
I might I, I might have to get back to you on this. I could do a whole episode uh, <laughs> of this show on, on food in Phoenix and Scottsdale because I spent a whole lot of time there, and there are some can't-miss places. Sounds good. Well, we'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Carrie, and uh, all the best to you. And, uh, hey, if you're ever out here, come on back. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Carrie. Carrie. That was Kerry Crowley, ladies and gentlemen, beat writer for the San Francisco Giants, for the Bay Area News Group, and part-time radio host on KNBR. That'll pretty much wrap it up for us today, Sammy, I yeah, think. great episode. I love to talk to him again. Hopefully he can get back on the show once this uh, CBA agreement is kind of figured out a little bit. But that was an awesome interview. I, lo- I love doing that. Me too. And hopefully we will get a lot more guests on our show coming up um, over the next couple, couple weeks, couple months. So... With that, thank you all so much for tuning in. This was The Whole Nine on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. For Sammy Newt and myself, Anthony Remedio, signing off. Have a great evening.